Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas, your uh, weekly host here from the Hot Stove Kitchens in downtown Seattle. I'm joined by my chef in the chapeau. Good morning, Tom. Here, Tiro, the chef in the hat. Luke in Madison Valley and uh, very happy and, uh, you know, very busy as well. And exactly. happy summer is here. I hope you're and all... at the same time, um, you know, we're releasing a, a sad news to, with a very heavy heart that uh, we're announcing to a friend, family, loyal customer and neighbors that Luke will be closing at the end of August uh, due to COVID. We could not financially sustain our lease. Therefore, our last day will be Saturday, August 28th. That's the news of the day for yeah, us. That's... And that's not a, necessarily a good news, but it is life in the restaurant business. Yeah. You've had a hell of a run, though, on. Chef. You've had a hell of a run between oh, Rovers and Luke fantastic. and Lulay. And uh, pretty soon your place at the airport will be up and running. And um, Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, uh, it's... You know, Tom. I mean, you know as well as I do. It's a it's a very um, it's a incredible business. Number one, we're in, especially when it works. You know, it's and, and when you see all those guests who keep coming and coming and you know blessing you with their uh, with their good words of you know you guys are great, you guys do a good job. You know, mm-hmm. and that just the fact that they're coming back is is speaking for itself. So um, I feel very blessed on all angles, and Luke's been nothing but a wonderful little neighborhood jam. As far as I'm concerned, and um, we've had a good run, and you know yeah. we'll um, we'll just keep it at that and keep our heart filled with uh, all those good memories, and you know. And hopefully, we'll you're just... gonna continue to join me on the show every week. Oh heck yes! And oh, I'm actually I'm oh, thinking good. of coming That's back. That's the best news. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking of coming back in studio as well. Woo-hoo! <laughs> All right, so that's uh, that's our opening biggest news. Uh, the rest of the show today, we're going to talk about apricots. They're starting to ripen up all over the Yakima Valley and Wenatchee and that areas. Um, Yasu Sato, managing partner of the new Saint Bread in Portage Bay in the lovely Pioneer Square destination, London Plain, is going to join us for a couple of segments today. Uh, all things Fourth of July. Let's talk ribs. Let's talk barbecue ribs. We've been doing some rib mm. pop-ups at the dock and and uh, Ballard where we have. Serious takeout and super popular ribs. People love ribs. There's a Prosser Farm report from Jackie Cross, my partner in crime. I know what the the report's going to be, Tom. It's going to be, it's all burned. It's hot. (laughs) It's hot. (laughs) We had two days over 115 this last week. So uh, uh, the tomatoes, while they like heat, they don't like that much heat. So they tend to drop their blossoms and you have to wait for a new flush to get more fruit. Uh, and lastly, of course, we're going to play our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs uh, that give you more versatility in your kitchen. Uh, taste of the week. My taste of the week is, is both a technique uh, and a taste. Uh, we made lamb meatballs the other night. matter of fact, Jackie made lamb meatballs the other night. And my job was to cook them. And uh, I just I don't know that I've done it this way before, but she had made a put them out like scooped them out onto a cookie sheet and rolled them all up in nice balls. And I was going. She wanted them charcoal grilled, and you know if you put if you put the the meatball on the hot grate like that, it, it tends to want to stick. And so what I Correct. did was I left them on the cookie sheet, put the whole cookie sheet in, put the lid on, and baked them till they were set, and then I put them on the grill. And I think that's a technique Very that smart. I hadn't really thought much about, but it just made sense to me because I'm a cook, right? So how do I get these yeah, to yeah, not yeah. stick to the grate? And that's how I did it. So I would say they were about 50 to 70, 50% cooked 
but with the lid on, so they still got smoky. And then right. um, I put them on the grate, and they got nice and charred and crunchy on the outside from the wood fire. So uh, that would be an interesting way, I think, for anyone to think about cooking meatballs or or kebabs that are uh, made from ground meat uh, to kind of set the meat yeah. with the bake in the smoke and then finish it on the grate of the grill. What's your taste of the week, Chef? Great, great technique, Tom. That's awesome. Uh, taste of the week. Well, when it was so hot last Monday, uh, watermelon um, was in the picture. So we put the watermelon in the fridge uh, after we peeled it and sliced it, put it in the fridge so it would get really cold, and uh, made a watermelon feta uh, anise ice up and just a drizzle of olive oil and sea salt. And I tell you, it's uh, something I do every year, and it's something that I, I, every time I have it, I'm like, oh, my God. This is so quite essential. Of like, You, you feel like you're going to be sitting in Greece on the Mediterranean somewhere, and having this dish, because that's exactly what I think about when mm-hmm. I have that dish. It's just so simple. But, you know, anise ice up is one of those herbs that many people can get. You can buy it in a store. I've never seen it in a store. So it's unfortunately for that. But you can grow it, and it's easy to grow. Mm-hmm. It grows really well. It's like a mint. And um, the leaves are very delicate, and they, they soften down. It's not like mint stays hard. It softens down enough, and it releases that beautiful light anise flavor. Right. And I think it's really nice. That and tarragon are two of the herbs that goes really well for this salad. So you can substitute tarragon if you don't have it. Just don't put as much because anise ice up is much easier to eat than uh, tarragon. Tarragon is, a, is much more pungent. Well, you but know, our, water, go ahead. Watermelon and feta, which is basically watery, sweet, uh, fruity kind of uh, item with the feta, which is nice and salty and and you know, a bit, a bit uh, hard on the touch. Those two things just combined together is absolutely magical. It's so simple and so delicious. Our, uh, our friendly producer, Pamela, uh, was over at our house for dinner the other night and brought us very similar salad. But, Pamela, you added cucumbers to it, which added a nice crunch to the watermelon, I thought. Cucumber, and instead of going the herby seasoning, the recipe I was using called for jalapeno, ah. so a real fine dice. Ooh. Which was nice. And, Tom, I like that you suggested the lemon oil because I didn't have any other dressing on it. Yeah, I always keep those uh, as part of my pantry, those uh, uh, preserved lemon, not preserved lemon, but infused lemon or infused orange uh, extra virgin olive oils, kind of as finishing oils. And then to go with the flaky salts, uh, it's really a, a fun Fun way to finish that kind of salad. But, I yeah, think. but I like the, I like the, I like the jalapeno because I've done that before where I've taken a, a pepper and chop it really fine and put it on top of that salad. And you're right, it is, and it brings another level of, of, uh, of that salad. But as soon as people say jalapeno, they think it's going to be too spicy. And really what it was, was perfect. No. Because I didn't even know, honestly, jalapeno was not, not even, it's, uh, it's more of a background presence, yeah. I thought. It wasn't over spicy yeah. at all. All right, we got to keep going here. It's time for apricots when we come back. I know our tree got slaughtered in the late freeze over in Prosser, so uh, we are we are having a moment of silence for our apricot tree. As far as fruit goes, the tree looks fine, but there's not a lot of fruit on there. When we come back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Uh, I'm Tom Douglas, owner of Seattle's uh, famous Serious Pie restaurant here in 4th Virginia, downtown Seattle. Of course, we've uh, combined our efforts down in the market area, uh, the north end of the market area, uh, with Seatown, the Rub Shack, and Etta's all kind of 
living together in one in peaceful harmony down there. Dahlia Bakery's <laughs> reopened. And uh, serious takeout out at the in Ballard at our warehouse in Ballard at 52nd 14th Northwest, where uh, we have picnic tables and we've been doing some rib pop-ups on the weekends and biscuit brunch and you name it. We do lots of stuff out there. So, And, of course, serious pie. Um, chef, it's apricot season. Yes, sir. A- annually for us, uh, we... we Took down one of our big apricot trees and uh, left us with one. We one tree, the apricots just weren't ever the best. And this other tree, they came off delicious and they look identical. I think they're the same species of apricots, but uh, the one tree produced a much better fruit. So we left the one tree. But now they're in two different sides sides of our farm. One's on the north, uh, the north side where it doesn't get quite as cold and one's on the south side where the breeze off the horse heavens when we get a late frost in the spring it comes in there and kicks our butt all the time uh our other orchard we planted behind the barn so it protects it from the that same breeze and so we don't get to freeze down there as much but this one tree it's hit or miss and uh three years ago when we harvested we had about 800 pounds of apricots off the one tree uh, wow last year we got a late frost and we had one apricot <laughs> oh jeez! literally one apricot uh that was usable who, who get who, who yeah who exactly get whoever could get up there and get it uh probably the birds got it uh and then this yeah. year we thought we were good we had a late late freeze and the, the blossoms looked fine we didn't think it was you know frozen long enough and then you, you honestly you just have to wait to see what happens at that point, what fruit sets. And we have about 20 apricots. So oh, it wow. is, uh, it's always sad because we love making apricot jam. We like making apricot yeah. savories because, you know, when you cook apricots, they get a little bit sour. And so they go great on pork roast or, you know, roast chicken or something like that. Uh, uh, what is your favorite way to handle these, these lovely fruits that, uh, are kind of the first of the stone fruits to pop up. I guess cherries are really the first, but the apricots kind right. of beat the peaches. They beat the Next. nectarines. They beat the plums, right? So what, what's your favorite yeah, way to... I think I, I'm a big fan of making uh, apricot jam. I mean, to me, it's a simple way to use apricot. You put them in vanilla sugar. It, when I say vanilla sugar, I keep all my vanilla beans that I've used once, rinse them off, dry them overnight, and then put them in the sugar, which therefore flavor the sugar in the jar. Use that sugar and macerate the uh, the apricot overnight, you know, in that sugar. So it really, really macerates together and starts rendering um, all the juice and everything. And then I cook them very slowly and, of course, put them in jars and can them. Do you, uh, you uh, strain the skins off? No, no, no. No, no, no. I keep, keep them half skin on. Skin on. Just no pits. No pits, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then, I, I, by the way, I use the pit to do something else. I'll tell you that later. But um, oh. keep, keep the uh, half apricots and then cook them slowly uh, the next day for a good. It, it takes a while to cook an apricot jam. It takes, you know, apricots takes a little while to cook. But I tell you, an apricot jam on a piece of toast in January is to me a, a sun ray. You know, it's like it's so beautiful. And I just love the flavor of apricot. I think it's very genuinely a delicious fruit because it's, to me, it's got more. It's got savory in it. It's not just sweet. You know, some fruit can be just sweet. This is not the case of apricot, and I think it tastes delicious. But um, in the savory section, I think it also does really well when you do a chutney, like you were mentioning, 
you know, you do a sweating of onions and uh, maybe cardamom and a bunch of apricots. Cook that slowly with a little white vinegar or rice vinegar. Mm -hmm. And then cook it very slowly, gently with some fresh herb at the end, tarragon. And I think it makes a wonderful chutney that can keep in your refrigerator for quite some time. And it's a great accompaniment to cold cuts as well as hot grilled barbecue, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You can even use it as, a, like you were t we were talking about, uh, we're going to talk about ribs in the next segment, but you could also use that as a brushing on top of your ribs after they're cooked and rested. Yeah, any of those fruits, right, you can make a barbecue sauce yeah. out of. Like I, we talked about last week about cherries being with browned onions and vinegar, and just the three ingredients made a delicious barbecue sauce. Apricots would yeah. be the same. And then finally, uh, one of my favorite tart is apricot tart with an almond frangipan on the bottom. Mm -hmm. So frangipan is um, almond meal with uh, egg yolks, sugar, flour, uh, just a little bit of flour, and put the whole thing together as the base of a tart, and then sunk in your half apricot in there, and then mm -hmm. bake it that way. And man, that is delicious, an apricot tart. What I like about that is when you do a tart like this, you really, I mean, the, the frangipan is very, very sweet, but the apricot still has that beautiful um, acid to it. You know, it comes right, out when you right. bake it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's delicious. It's a very beautiful, sweet and sour kind of idea. Well, so there there's, we go. yeah, there's so, there's so many things. Uh, one of my favorite appetizers is I'll take um, apricots. And I like to pick the small ones for this process because uh, as a cocktail appetizer, I like bite-sized foods. And so I'll right. take a small apricot, take the pit out, and then make a little of homemade uh, ground lamb sausage, we'll say. It would work with any sort of meat, but um, just make a nice, spicy, smoked paprika lamb sausage. Put a tiny little scoop right in the half apricot and bake it off quickly. Not so long that the apricot falls apart, right? So right. that's why it can only be a tiny scoop of sausage, uh, or else you'll cook everything into soup. But if you just put those in a, like a 500-degree oven and just cook the sausage real quickly and then pull them out and let them sit and rest, uh, then they will, the apricot will literally soak up the juice from all the sausage meat. And uh, you, they're just a fun little unexpected uh, cocktail appetizer. They're hard to eat, yeah. though. I will say they're hard to eat. <laughs> a stuffed mushroom was much easier. It's a great idea. I think it's apricot and mushroom, apricots and meat. Um, not so much... I don't think I'm so much apricots and fish, but definitely with many cut of meat, um, it works really well. It's a good, it's a good accompaniment, I think, because of that savoriness it's got in it already. And and all you have to do is you put it a fresh herbs in there, tarragon, thyme, so some of those um, hearty um, flavored um, herb. And you have a beautiful match together. It's, yeah. it's a good one. You know what I really think people don't do enough of or maybe never even tried and uh, is uh, dehydration. And the little dehydration oh, yeah. boxes are very inexpensive, less than $50. And it's a great, fun way. I mean, of, of all the dried fruit that I like to pick at when I'm ready for a snack but I'm not ready for a meal, I pick probably at apricots the most. And I pick at the ones, the uh, unsulfured ones, so they're kind of dark and gnarly looking. Yeah. They're not the bright orange ones that you can buy with that are f fully sulfured. Uh, but uh, they're super fun to make, and you can put your own bit of like herbal glaze on it like you put a tarragon glaze on your apricot then dry it with that on top and you get these mm -hmm. nice kind of savory sweet um little snacks that you can make for yourself in there i, th I think they're delicious this would be good in your meatballs in your <laughs> you know dice really small and put a few of those in your in your meatball that'd be delicious right and yeah 
then you wouldn't even need to stuff your apricot with it, right? You put the apricot in the meatball. Right. Exactly. Right. So, all right, good. Get out there, ch- check out the new crop of apricots. They're coming in from all over Washington State, uh, as are so many things right now. It's getting to be, there's that magic moment at the end right now, right, when uh, all the berries are in, all the peaches are coming on apricots, uh, even early corn is coming in right now. Up next, Yasu Sato is here from the new St. Bread, and, of course, London playing down in Pioneer Square. We're going to talk to him about both. When we come back, it's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Hot Stove Society radio show. You landed smack dab in the middle of it. No matter where you are, hopefully you're in your garden or in your kitchen or just uh, hanging out with a little fan on your forehead. Uh, We have... Yashu Seito here. He has got a new store over there off the Montlake Cut area called Saint Bread. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about that. Pamela, why did you invite Yasu on the show today? Because he's handsome. Well, I get that part. <laughs> no, because when I heard about Saint Bread, of course, Jackie knew about it first. And its location, it demanded exploration because it is tucked away in the most unusual wonderful secret part of town and the way you that you built the building and the outside spaces is a, a standalone reason enough to go there and then the food is just spectacular on top of it so well, welcome thank you so much great to be here so tell us about saint bread I, if i remember right it's the same space that the uh, lady from the volunteer cafe opened over there in portage bay area right uh, Actually, it's a little bit further down the road. A little road further from there. down, yeah. okay. Um, so it's uh, the old Jensen Marina, uh, the uh, motorboat company that mm-hmm. is famous for the slow motion hydroplane uh, boats back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, about two years ago, um, I was approached by um, a local uh, family friend, uh, Mark, who had an opportunity to purchase the property um, with a couple of his partners and was looking for somebody to do something on the um, waterfront. And we'd always talked about doing something together prior to the pandemic and we just um, never had a spot that resonated with us both and this one is as pam mentioned is just exceptional it's a hundred year old uh, family-owned boatyard has been in the family for those 96 years the family lived on the property there was um, fourth generation shipwrights who built all the boats and uh, did all the repairs to the um, wooden boats that would come back to them and that they had produced over the years uh, the family dewitt and his wife deb um, they still had family members living in the apartment that uh, dewitt grew up in it's just really a special, exceptional site. And, um, you know, for us, the, one of the biggest parts about it was trying to honor that uh, history and to know that we are taking over something that, you know, we still get every day somebody comes by and says, oh, I used to have my boat here. Uh. Or when I was growing up as a kid, I used to take my canoe and, and park it over here and watch these shipwrights um, work on these boats. And, you know, it's just a, a really, um, for me, um, almost humbling experience to be able to have a, a, an opportunity to help develop the site. Uh-huh. Super fun. And is this where a lot of the skulls were made for the UW? Uh, George Pocock, I believe yeah, his name was? Yeah, right, right across the water from there. Um, George Pocock was, um, they still have the rowboat, um, the uh, scullery house there. Um, and uh, the boys in the boat um, practiced there. One of the um, partners on the property, his name is Mike Hess. He's a former captain of the UW uh, men's team and an uh, Olympic medalist in 1976. So he's part of the property. And, and everybody involved in the um, uh, uh, development of the piece of uh, property is really... Uh, just committed to making something special for the city. Uh-huh. How fun. Yeah. 
So tell us about the, yeah, what you did cool. then, uh, St. Bread. Yeah, so we took the machine shop, which was uh, where they used to do all the tooling and machining for the boats that they would build. Um, it's about an 80-year-old building. Uh, we lifted it because we put a 6,000-pound uh, bread oven in it with a masonry brick uh, um, levels, and so we needed to reinforce the structure. Um, but other than that, we uh, kept the um, existing uh, building the same as it had been for those 80 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we um, uh, sandblasted the ceiling to expose all the um, original uh, woodwork. We harvested the metal from the floor um, that they used to put below the machines to protect the wood from you know, catching fire from sparks and so forth. Uh, and we turned those into tiles in the front uh, entryway. Uh, we and then we just basically built a high-production um, bakery kitchen. And uh, as Pam had uh, intimated, there's two large outdoor spaces. We seat about 50 at each um, location. One is a covered deck with heaters and a transparent, um, translucent roof. Um, and then the other side is an open-air um, kind of sail. We're going to put sails and fairy uh, lights um, above the um, seating area so what are the pastries or breads that you hang your hat on what's uh, what are um, people digging yeah we um we have this interesting mix of kind of japanese scandinavian french um i'm of japanese uh alsatian heritage and uh our um, pastry chef randy is um well versed in uh um, scandinavian pastries and the family the jensen's are fourth generation shipwrights from copenhagen uh and so we wanted to pay homage to that as well so there's a um, currently cardamom buller, um, which is a traditional cardamom knot. Um, we have some, you know, traditional butter, uh, nor, uh, uh, French style uh, croissants. We have um, some metonpan, which is a, a Japanese, almost like concha. Uh-huh. Um, if you're familiar with the Mexican pastry, um, and and we have a whole bunch of other stuff too, chocolate chip cookie and so forth. But we're trying to create this interesting uh, mix that draws from all of our heritage, pays homage to the site, and then is also really tasty. Uh-huh. We like the tasty part. Yeah, it's the most yeah. important. That's, a, that's yeah. a much work. I, I, you don't get the tasty. I think. I think on a on a sunny day like today, sitting on the terrace, watching the boats go by, with a nice cafe au lait and a beautiful croissant, fresh. Yeah, you got me over there. I'm definitely yeah. coming. <laughs> and we're, we're lucky we get to use really great ingredients, local flowers, and so forth. And we have this. Uh, um, you probably are familiar with it uh, as chefs, um, but we use a bird de uh, uh salt mer mm-hmm. the. Um, butter from the northern coast of France for uh, all of our pastries, right. which is pretty special. Nice. And what about the bread of St. Bread? Oh, yeah. So um, Randy uh, is our pastry chef, and she handles most of the pastry stuff with uh, um, one of our uh, pastry cooks, uh, Lisi Latronica. Uh, and then Michael Sanders, who was formerly of Plain Bread um, at the London Plain kind of shop within a shop uh, that we used to have um, down there. He uh, came on board and is doing uh, six or seven different types of bread. Uh, his 40-hour leaven sourdough. Uh, we have a seeded rye bread that we use for um, a couple toasts and sandwiches. We um, have a, our version of white bread, kind of like homage to Shokupan meets Wonder Bread um, that we all grew up on. Uh, and then uh, we have a torpedo roll for our bratwurst sandwich, and we have a um, uh, like a hand-formed ciabatta roll. Uh, and we do all those breads every day. Um, we aren't quite at the capacity yet to start doing loaf uh, sales, um, but that's also something down the road that we'd like to do. You know, that white bread is making such a comeback. Uh, and I first had it really at Fuji Bakery out there on Elliott. And I really, you know, I would have normally used to call that trashy white bread because it was like wonder. But this stuff is so fine and delicious mm-hmm. that it's spongy and it's got just a great character to it. 
that white bread is making a real serious comeback. Yeah, and I think there's something about um, taking these things that are nostalgic for us. And I think in the during the pandemic, we've all felt the need and the desire to comfort ourselves. And you know, for us, um, you know, Michael knows. I think he had Iron Kids bread growing up or something. He grew up in um, uh, Alabama, and um, I grew up on Chocopan, uh and Randy grew up on uh, I think Wonder Bread. So uh-huh. we all have this this remembrance of that thing and we also know that it's not good quality and it's past uh you know tons of preservatives and so forth so making something that is an updated version of it with local flour and has really great flavor and texture and you can actually cook to the point of getting a nice golden crust on it is right. really, really nice right oh i just right. and we also just kind of got all carried away not carried away but we kind of got into the whole whole grain thing and um you lose you lose white bread if you want to go whole grain that's yep. all there's to it chef you got a question yeah i was gonna say Anything that's originally made is not—it's not made with preservative. That came later. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. originally white bread, when it was made, was made because it was the easiest bread to make. It was practical and it was also delicious. Mm-hmm. You know, if you make if you make it, like you say, all naturally made with good ingredients, you'll have a good bread on your hand. I mean, it's not a. It just doesn't last fourteen days in your in, on your <laughs> counter like the Correct. like Correct. Wonder Bread does. That's true. Uh, yeah. uh, on the, when I grew up, the the bread would be made every two weeks, but yep. they made like loaves that were like five kilo, uh-huh. ten pound loaves. Like poilin, a giant loaf. From, yeah, we, yeah, exactly. Just yeah. a big giant loaf, like a big loaf, and that's what. And we'd keep it in that place called the Uche à pain. Which is basically a, a, a wood cupboard that you put the bread in in a bag, mm-hmm. and that's where you would keep it. And it would last. I mean, it would last the whole time. Did you have and to go to would, a community oven, Terry, to bake that off, or is that something no, your, it, your it house could do? Farm, on the farm, there was an oven, a community oven for my uncle and his family, and my grandparents and their family. Ah. So they would bake. They would bake a bunch of loaf at the same time every two weeks. Awesome. But they would make loaves that were you don't see loaves like that in the market because they were just giant. That was your oven uh, wood fired. Yeah, yeah, all wood. All wood, yeah. Give us an idea where uh, this is, because that's an area of town that, as Pamela said, that it's like such a surprise. I did. Some people don't even know it exists, that little area over there by Portage Bay. Yeah, it's a, it's a little pocket. So it's at the um, uh, uh, terminus of Boat Street at the UW Medical Center and the research facilities down there for the STEM schools. Okay. Uh, and it's right around the corner from Agua Verde and Agua Verde Paddle Club. Okay. Uh, so it's, it, it is very much off the beaten path when you... Th- think about the way that it's situated but then we've been so lucky to have tons of people that use it as their walking path or their bike riding path or their um their run around so it's a really nice um community um corner and we found that it's been really um great for that okay everybody's discovering it because there was a line out the door when i went the other day but i'm gonna get back in that line because i want that Sweet breadstick with the sesame oh, seeds. Yeah, black sesame what the stick. heck is that thing? Uh, that's a, that's a. We make a little like black sesame. We um, in, my friend uh, down in San Francisco imports uh, black sesames that are toasted and salted uh, uh, from the Japanese yes. the Japanese pantry. Is the name of this company, uh, and they do um, all these fun different things. So we take that and we um, uh, mix that with some sugar, and then we take laminated dough and we kind of roll it in that sugar and then twist it and then bake it. And so you mm-hmm. have like this toasty sesame. A sesame sweet kind of thing. Yeah. So good. All right. Stop, you guys. Just stop. You're killing me. <laughs> Our guest is Yashu Saito of St. Bread over there in Portage Bay area. And then uh, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about London Plain down in Pioneer Square, two opposite sides of town. Right here on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. 
Chef in the Chapeau and Tom Douglas here. Thanks for joining us here at the Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo. Uh, our guest is Yashu Sato, uh, owner of the brand new Saint Bread. But uh, we, we did that last segment. Let's talk about some of the older stuff in your portfolio. Um, we, you have uh, Post Alley Pizza, is that what it's called? Yep, exactly. Down okay. on Post in Seneca, just off the harbor steps. Okay, and also you have London Plain, down the, the famous London Plain down in Pioneer Square. That's correct, yep. So tell us about uh, life uh, post, well, I'm hesitant to say post-pandemic, yeah, but we all know things have been difficult during it, but uh, how are you coming out of it and what's it feel like to you? Well, you know, I think um, you could probably feel this acutely as well. Uh, downtown businesses, uh, central uh, business district type uh, spots have had a real big struggle because all of the uh, um, office workers have been working from home for 18 months. Uh, so we've had a real, real struggle. You know, one of the things that's been uh, inspiring, though, is the uh, turnout of the community. Uh, the London Plain uh, and Post Alley um, both have been supported by industry friends, by um, neighbors, people that are intrepid enough to come down to those neighborhoods that don't have much going on, uh, especially during construction and uh, pandemic uh, closures and um, restrictions. So uh, all, all, all things being equal, we feel pretty lucky. Uh, we've been able also to get some you know, funding to kind of help us uh, float uh, during this time. And, uh, yeah, just inspired by the fact that people actually came down to see us um, at all. Because it, right. it was pretty dark there for a little bit. Oh, man. And, I, I, you know, I'm just uptown from you, right, all of our joints. And uh, what I found, find most rewarding in the two weeks that we've had Dahlia Bakery reopened, uh, there is just euphoria. From our, uh, there's, you forget how many people still live here, yep. much less work here. You know, a lot of the workers aren't here still, but uh, the neighbors are euphoric that they have some options again because it was pretty dismal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the other things, too, that we've been really um, fortunate for is by staying open the whole time. We closed for maybe a month while we did some uh, large-scale uh, food donations. But other than that, we've been open the whole time. And I think that gave people the sense that we were there for them mm-hmm. as a community locus. And that was really important for us continuing to build that foundational uh, you know, kind of regular uh, guest business. And it's also something where, you know, we wanted to do it for the community because, as you know, um, those of us that have been down to Pioneer Square, we've been down, down there for eight years as a business. But, you know, the past 10 years, we've, we've made some really big strides and we've gotten some really, um, you know, positive uh, momentum. And the pandemic just kind of took the wind out of the yeah, sails. crushed and, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. We, we're all just kind of rebuilding from that. But being able to stay there um, and be, you know, solid has been really great. And I, and I think it's definitely important that you guys stick around and, and revive that neighborhood because Pioneer Square, to me, I feel is like the soul of the city. Everything else is brand new everywhere. But Pioneer Square is keeping that nice uh, old Seattle. You know, I mean, it's the only place in Seattle that I can think of that's really old like that. And, and it's important to keep that. I, I agree. And I think that, you know, my, my business partner there, Catherine Anderson, she has deep ties to the um, uh, neighbor, uh, neighborhood and to the city. She was born and raised here. Her family has lived here for um, a couple of generations. They own property um, out in uh, Carnation, Washington, and have had a farm out there for a long time. So there's a lot of um, dedication on our part to being there and to revi- helping revitalize that neighborhood. I will tell you that it's exhausting. I I'm, sure, really, yeah. I'm sure you oh, guys yeah. both feel that. Like At some point, you got to say, okay, how much can I shoulder as an individual business owner? <laughs> and more and more, I think what happens is the um, ills of the city or the challenges the city face all to the small business owners, and we're expected to yeah. fix all this, the problems. We're expected to be mental health professionals for people that are having um, issues on our patios. We're um, expected to donate all of our time and money to um, cooking for others. And, mm-hmm. and 
we're all, I think, inspired to do that. I think we all have that in our hearts because we're hospitable and we want to take care of people. But at some point, I feel like we are going to need the city to step up and say, hey, we see how much you've done for everybody and we see how hard you've worked. Let's try to figure out a way to help you. Right, and help is, is a, help comes in all sorts of ways. Go ahead, Terry. It's way overdue. Then the the city needs to come up with a plan that actually is working and doing something positive to show the people who are trying every day, like you say, to survive, to to make it better, and everything, to show them help is on the way. I mean, it definitely feels like growing with one hole only. Yeah. You know, it yeah. feels like you're making circles and you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, as a business owner, I will say that I feel um, zero support from our city council on tackling Seattle's toughest problems. Uh, and, uh, you know, that doesn't make me anti-homeless. It doesn't make me anything other than you you want us to succeed, but yet you treat us as if you don't. Yeah. Uh, somehow or another, as a capital uh, capitalist business, um, we are evil, and I just don't get it. Because without the tax dollars that are raised, you don't have any money for the homeless or for people that are struggling with drug addiction or things of that nature. So it's just such a, I, I feel um, so conflicted yeah. about our city council uh, that um, they, they don't seem to get it. And I, I will say I'm curious how they've cut their budgets in the last uh, year and a half of the pandemic. My understanding is they haven't cut a nickel, yeah. basically. Yeah. But um, I know our budgets have been cut. And, of course, we, <laughs> we wouldn't be here without the PPP funds that, uh, that are out there. And yeah. those are the only things that let us survive. Yeah, so. and, and I think it goes mm-hmm. deeper than that because I think, to your point, none of us are anti-human, right? Like, right. I want the people that oh, are in, in the Pioneer Square neighborhood specifically, the people I've known for eight years now that I see regularly that get just churned in and out of the um, homes that they um, can find for uh, brief moments. Like, I want them to get real help. I don't want it to be something like, oh, that's the, the neighborhood problem. We're just going to leave it down there in Pioneer Square. I want those people to actually get lifted. Mm-hmm. Right? I want them to have yeah. some sort of opportunity yeah. to get better if they can. And then beyond that, like as a small business owner, we're also not just tax dollars. We're the things that make a city. Right. right? If Without us, right. I don't think that the city has a character um, other of um, anything else. And, and you could put a whole bunch of Jimmy John's and Domino's pizzas, no offense against those, businesses but you put a bunch of those in any city and it'll feel exactly the same mm-hmm. but if you can't yeah. put a hot stove society and a um, uh, um saint bread and anything else in a city and not have it feel like it's real or authentic mm-hmm. here here the co- that's what ties the community together absolutely it's the people that are running those places yeah, yeah and and frankly you can't cook for the neighborhood if you can't don't have profits. One of our company models has always been to make enough money to give back to our community. You know, and frankly, I need to make money too. Yeah. There's no, there's no law against me making money at the same time. And if you can't do it, you can't do it. So I was like, yeah. And I, uh, and I think also like one of the things I'm inspired by, by both of you is that like you give a lot of your time and efforts to don donating and, and raising money for, um, you know, admirable causes. So it's not like you're not doing the work either. Right. Like you're solely capitalist. Right. And we have forever. Yeah. For, for 25, yeah. 30 years. Yeah. 40 for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's always been yeah. part of our, our mantra. Terry, I know it's been important for you too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, even as a small, I'm a, a much, much smaller business, um, but still we give so much more than we, uh, I mean, in percentage of value and business, we give more than we actually make in, in some ways, you know, and, and, and to me, it's not, it's not about the money. It's about the fact that that's what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. It feels good to give. Yeah. You know, it feels good to help. And it also, like you said, you know, it's like it's good for the community because that's the community I want to live in. Yeah. You know, I want to live in a community where I feel like, you know, you're helping each other and you're, you're keeping everybody up, you know. 
And when you feel like you're the only one rowing or you're, you're rowing one way and nothing else is happening, <laughs> it doesn't feel good. It you doesn't. Know? And it's tiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sue, it's, it's a pl- better pleasure having you here today. It's Yasu Sikto. Uh, new, uh, go down and check out St. Bread. Go down and uh, support uh, London Plain down in Pioneer Square or uh, Post Alley Pizza in the uh, south end of uh, you know, Post Alley. goes all the way through the Pike Place Market and all the way down to Seneca Street, you said, right? Yep. So, good. Uh, up next, we are, have another whole hour for you. We're going to talk about making good ribs, making potato salad, and, of course, we're going to get a farm report from my wife, Jackie Cross, head farmer at Prosser Farm. I'm sticking around for that. Yeah, it's the Hot Stove <laughs> Society Radio Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. It's time for another full hour of our uh, Hot Stove Society Show where we explore foods and beverages and try to make you hungry and try to give you inspiration to get in the kitchen and cook or in the garden and and grow or in your car and drive. All these inspirations uh, going along with uh, delicious apricots and ribs. Uh, Chef, we're going to talk about ribs for a segment I know I'm a rib nut. Uh, let's talk about buying them first and a little bit different uh, styles of ribs that are out there. I mean, I'll jump in on that. Um, what I see mostly out there are the St. Louis ribs, the spare ribs, and the baby back ribs, right? And so the difference uh-huh. is yeah. the baby backs are the, the loin ribs from right off of that uh, big pork loin that so many people buy. It's inexpensive. It's actually less expensive. All The all meat part is less, less expensive than the bony rib part right now, which is a super... Super craziness. Uh, Then the spare ribs, the St. Louis ribs, are the spare ribs without the tips. So there's that little flap of meat on the spare ribs that they slice off and give you a real uh, even set of ribs, of of the bigger, broader ribs uh, across. And then, of course, when you buy a rack of spare ribs, they've got the the St. Louis and that whole lower flap part on the ribs that has a lot of cartilage in it. And when you order rib tips, that's generally the piece that you get. Uh, because they, it cooks differently than the rest of the stuff up on the bone. So those are our ribs. And the only caveat I would say is you're finding, because baby backs are so highly valued right now, you're finding mm-hmm. there's two kinds of specs that you can get your ribs. The old spec, which is when you bought bought ribs, you would just see, you literally see they would slice to the bone, and really the only meat right. was in between the bones. Now, because uh, the, the ribs are so highly prized and valued dollar-wise, you're seeing a much heavier cut of meat that they're taking a little bit off of that boneless pork loin and leaving it on the ribs as they slice. It's a whole different yep. spec, and now they're getting between 6 and $8 a pound for that meat that they were only getting between 2 and $3 a pound for as right. boneless pork. Very good, decent pork. If you pay attention to the pork, you pay more for the pork, but salt and pepper by itself and grill the uh, the ribs just like that mm-hmm. it comes out for some reason to me as a very tasty grilled pork and, and very no, porky right yeah rather yeah, than very yeah porky mm-hmm. very exactly this is mm-hmm. exactly the the i didn't know if that was a word or actually we just made up a word. well that's what people say about me sometimes he's very porky <laughs> with a fork tender yeah, exactly <laughs> i taste better with salt and pepper yeah, but salt and pepper, and then you, you you can. The good thing about when you have salt and pepper only, first of all, your, your rib tastes like pork, very much not hidden by any other flavor. Mm-hmm. But you can also drizzle a little, like you were talking lemon oil or stuff like that that you have in your cupboard. If you make a little uh, dressing, for example, you know, uh, you could make a soy sesame oil and mustard dressing, 
and then brush that at the end on top of your ribs and add some flavor to your ribs if you want to. But salt and pepper ribs, are, I, I just love them. I think they're very, that's, that's mostly because my past, when I was raised, uh, we didn't have ribs. We never, we, we had pork, uh, you know, whatever pieces, all the different pieces of the, of the pork. So we did have the ribs one time, but we didn't cook them like, like yeah. we do in America yeah. using it. So, you know, like now they do, but. They didn't do then, so right rib shacks and places um, like that. So when you yeah, sound, when you talk, when, now I've got my rack. My let's just stick on baby backs, so we don't have time to do everything. Sure. Uh, now I've got my rack of ribs. I've taken them out of the cryovac. They're sitting on my counter. Um, I used to like to take that kind of cellophane uh, back off of the ribs. You know, you, if you just uh, you can yes. pull that off. Now I kind of like to leave it on because, to me, it helps keep the fat in a little bit longer as the ribs are cooking and tends to baste, you know, let the meat baste a little bit more. Um, uh, and so, because it's such, it's a skinny, tough skin basically, right. but it does cook. It does cook off, and it becomes tender when you eat it. So exactly, it's not exactly. It's so, not a big deal to take it off. So on so on, much. Go ahead. There's not much to take off of, of a baby back rib. To me, I think there is nothing to really take off that. Maybe a piece of fat that's hanging or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, usually I don't. But one thing that I do is I always rinse them off when I take them off the bag. I know that Chef. you don't uh, do that. I'm Chef. Jeez. Oh, hey, Tom doesn't rinse. Jeez. I know. I know. I know. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, if I'm the one who killed the pork and butchered the pork, I would not do that. Mm-hmm. But I just have, you know, it's just meat in the bag just with some water in it. I'm like always like, eh. Now, if I buy your now, here's the problem with rinsing, chef. Though now you're spreading germs all over your sink. You have to bleach down your whole sink and your whole area if you're going to rinse. That is that is correct. Yeah, that is correct. I do that. Yeah. But what I was going to say was, if I buy a rib that has no liquid in it, I will not rinse off. Yeah. I will just do it, uh, cook it as is. But usually, there is that liquid in there that, for some reason, I'm not trusting. I'm just not trustworthy with that liquid Okay, somehow. so for me, uh, I'm, I rarely have the time to do an all-day smoke on some of these things. So for me, right. if I'm in that hour, hour-and-a-half mode, uh, I get baby back ribs. I look, um, look at them. I pull them off, do what we just talked about, trim or not trim, salt and pepper. I put them on a medium-low fire, uh, mm-hmm. higher than a slow smoke, right? I want to cook them. But I want to cook them evenly all the way through. So I'll, I'll continue to work the ribs back and forth on my fire, take them to the hot, take them to the cool, or work the edge of your fire, and then just continue to kind of caramelize the natural juices, almost as if they were on a rotisserie, but they're not, right? They're a big flat piece of meat. Right. Uh, and right. uh, then I tend to just kind of work them and get that crust that I want. And then to me, when you see a little bit of a boil of the fat in between the bones, and the bones start to release from the layer of meat, that's when you know that you are ready to go. And I like a little bite. Uh, I like them. I don't want them to fall off sure, the bone sure. personally. I could yes, take them there. I could put them in a piece of foil, put them back on the fire, and take them to a fall-off stage. But that's not for me. I like a little gnarl on the bone. Sure, sure. Me too. I'm a big fan of you know having to chew on the bone kind of idea because that's what makes it so good about ribs. Right, or you else get, why buy? You, if you, you want them to fall off, buy pork butt, right? Buy exactly. the shoulder, yeah, and and or pork loin for that matter. But mm-hmm. no, it's I'm, I'm with you, and I I love getting my finger dirty and holding that bone and cleaning it up yeah. with my teeth. Exactly. All right, as long as we're going to have ribs, we're going to need something to go along with it, uh, Chef. Let's explore potato salad when we come back. 
That's Absolutely. A, so many different ways to make potato salad, and neither one of us are going to make a traditional one. We're both going to go outside the box on our potato That's salad. Right. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Time to make some uh, potato salad to go along with our ridiculously good ribs that we cooked from the last segment. Mm. Uh, Chef, uh, potato salad is an age-old treat. Uh, I would say the American, traditional American-style potato salad uh, is the mayonnaise, hard-boiled egg, maybe a little pickle, uh, you know, maybe a little of yellow mustard or, you know, kind of a typical American with boiled potatoes, uh, potato salad. Uh, let's get out. Let's get out from under that drama, because to me, that's not my favorite potato salad ever, never. Well, yeah, I agree that if you start buying cheap mayonnaise and doing all that, it's not going to be the best potato salad. You can do better than that for sure. All right, let's get for started. Me, stay, I'm going to stay away from the mayonnaise. I'm going to make a lemon mustard um, olive oil dressing, and that's going to be my base for my potato salad. Um, nice little cake in there. Some fresh herbs from the garden, either parsley, tarragon, and uh, maybe even some thyme, some thyme blossom, you know, just chop all together, put that in the dressing, and use that as a base for the potato salad. Um, hot boiled egg, I love hot boiled eggs, especially um, I was granted some duck egg recently, and I did some hot devil egg uh, with those duck eggs. That mm-hmm. was so delicious. Mm-hmm. So um, hot duck egg, uh, hot boiled duck egg would be delicious in that potato salad, and uh, one little cheat sheet that I like to put in my potato salad since I've discovered that spice is that famous chili crisp, uh, Tom. Mm-hmm. The famous chili crisp at the end in my potato salad with a whole bunch of fresh herbs. Oh, my God. That just takes it to another level. And if you don't have a jar of this chili crisp, it's called Loganma. Loganma uh, Spicy Chili Crisp. And it's not super spicy, but it's rich in flavor. It's got some crunchy soybeans in there. And it's loaded with MSG, <laughs> just so you know. We're being right up front with that. doesn't bother me a bit. Yeah. But it's uh, Logan Ma uh, Spicy Chili Crisp. It's two and a half, three dollars a jar. It's a great deal. And I need to get some more because I just finished mine. Uh-huh. And realize I, realize I don't have a backup anymore. <laughs> so uh, my potato salad is going to be new potatoes. I like the little red jacket mm-hmm. potatoes. Uh, and... Uh, I'm going to go Italian. Uh, you went a little French with the Dijon mustard, and uh, uh-huh. I'm going to go Italian. And I'm going to, right now, we have the last of the season fresh English peas that uh, Jackie and Sharon have been shucking at the farm while they watch the Mariner baseball game or watch a movie uh, on the couch. They just shuck peas all night long. And uh, so I've been the recipient of quarts of beautifully shucked English peas. And so. <laughs> You're so lucky. I know. It's been awesome. Uh, That's a treasure. It is really a treasure. Uh, so, anyway, I'm going to take these uh, new potatoes and I'm going to steam them, not so that the jackets fall off, right? I'm just going to steam them until they're cooked. And then right. while they're warm, I'm going to pull them out and I'm going to quarter them. I don't like putting cut potatoes into water, right? To me, they get gross. Right, right, right. And the other way to do it is to not put them in water at all. Put them in your bamboo steamer and just steam them over water, and they'll stay nice, and you won't get that watered-out potato kind of uh, thing going on and losing all the washing out all the flavor. So then I take these warm potatoes, and I put my fresh peas in there while while they're still hot, right? So the, mm-hmm. the heat of the potatoes cooks my peas. If you like them cooked more, I don't like them crunchy, but if you like them cooked more, just blanch them off real quick and dump them in. 
And then I put warm buttermilk on top of this potato and pea <laughs> and fresh butter. That's cheating. Uh, so that's my little idea Double for uh, potato salad. Now, you cannot boil your buttermilk. You can only warm it, right? And right, buttermilk right. is a little bit sour. If you want to make it more custardy, just add a couple of dollops of uh, creme fraiche or sour cream or mascarpone uh-huh. or you know so- something of that nature. But just as mm. kind of warm, custardy potatoes with peas and fresh tarragon, uh, salt and pepper, uh, it's really a delight. And this would be a good place uh, to use, like I keep uh, all sorts of different salts by my stove, but the Malden Flake Smoked Salt would be a really good opportunity to use that and have it show up. It has a kind of a neutral background with the cream and the the, uh, sourness from the buttermilk, and the, the salt will really show up in that kind of scenario. Right. And one more thing I've done with that potato salad I was telling you, the lemon mustard dressing, mm-hmm. is to take some uh, anchovies, you know, those, those Matisse anchovies. And kind of the, pic- the pickled into- ones, not the salted ones, right? No, no, the salted ones. The, the salted, salted ones. The brown okay. salted ones. Okay. And then you take those and you crush them like, a, like you would for a Caesar dressing kind of idea mm-hmm. and put that in the dressing with the potatoes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It also is delicious. And cornichon. Don't forget cornichon. It's always a good to have a, a pickled item in the potato salad because it brings a little brightness to that salad. And you the know, difference between cornichon and what my mother would use, so like my mother would use sweet pickle relish. Uh, and the no, cornichon no, really no, no, does. No, no. I know, I know, that's not I the chefy no, thing to no. do. But the cornichon oh, no. brings that big, bright sour uh, <laughs> to the potatoes, right? Yes. So to, to me, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that acid. Not The dill pickle, unfortunately, are not for that purpose, are much sweeter. And they don't have the... the the, the acid that I'm looking for. I'm and looking for the acid to cut through the richness of the potato and the, and the dressing and everything and bring that zing to the potato salad. They also don't have necessarily the crunch that cornichon brings, right? Because cornichons Correct. Correct. are, what, an inch long, maybe a yeah. half inch wide at the, at the biggest, and they add a lot of crunch when you're into that creamy potato salad. Right. Uh, same with green onions, a very uh, nice component to, to uh, if you get some beautiful green onions that are coming up of the ground right now you take those and you dice them and put them in a potato salad it also adds a nice crunch and a nice texture and soon the walla wallas uh sweets when they come out as well it's also another one the dice it's one of the few times and i like raw onion um dice super fine and put that in your potato salad and uh, that do a nice addition to that too so there's plenty of ways to embellish your potato salad i think did you ever make a my mother was big on making a German potato salad. So was my grandmother, uh, where you take Mitch. the potatoes and you've got, you got cooked potatoes, like maybe a baby Yukon Gold or something, slice them fairly uh-huh. thin, and then in a separate pan on the stove, you, you uh, cook some, uh, you know, crisping up some bacon, you've got the bacon fat, you've got vinegar, cider vinegar, mustard seedy or seedy mustard. Uh, and so sure. basically you're making a sweet and sour dressing, but it's a hot dressing, and then you put your sliced potatoes in there and just uh, right. stir it up. Uh, stir it together. I always yeah. loved no, that I as a kid. I, but yeah, that's nobody, delicious. Nobody does that anymore. That kind of German style. On, you know what? Salad. It's really good on the on the gem lettuce or on a on a crisp lettuce. If you have some leaves of crisp lettuce, you mean like a, a warm put, dressing like that? You mean? Yeah, you yeah. put you put that on the bottom, and you put that potato salad right on top oh, of that. Oh yeah, yeah. So it it's kind of like a semi warm salad kind of mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. on top of those crispy lettuces. And it, it works really well. You're making me hungry, chef. Well, it's that time of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
We are Keep talking in, about good food and <laughs> getting into it. Uh, what a treat for me coming up next. Uh, my wife, Jackie, head farmer at Prosser Farm, is going to be here to give us the farm report. If you remember, if you're a longtime listener, she was back here in the spring when we were talking about what's getting into the ground. And so now we're in the middle of that harvest of all those things that uh, she started in, from seed in January and February, got into the ground between March and May. And now here we are just uh, reaping the, the reward here in July, except for that darn heat. Man, that was a yeah. bust out there. I think, I think I said we had two days over 115, but we also had another day over 113. So uh, it was hot Jeez. out there. Yep. All right, up next, uh, it's Jackie on Cairo Radio, Hot Stove Society Radio Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Kitchen. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And uh, Terry, we have the little pony here. Right from the pony's <laughs> mouth, we're going to get a farm report from Jackie Cross, Prosser Farm, which is uh, in full flush right now, uh, or at least it was before the heat uh, of last week. Uh, we're going to find out what that does to things that normally like heat, but not that much heat, right? So uh, Jackie Cross is here. Welcome uh, back to the Hot Stove Society show. Thank you for having me back. I'm not quite sure how I feel about being a pony, but uh, I'm going to go with it. Good, good. So um, let's just tackle the heat first. I mean, we got some heat over here in Seattle, too, record heat. Uh, 106, I believe, was in downtown Seattle. Uh, But it was uh, 10 degrees hotter at Prosser. And what does that do? Uh, Everyone, I think, would instinctively say, well, sun and heat is good. But when you get too much heat, what happens? When you get too much heat, it's too much. And... Almost all the vegetables don't like. I mean, they're real happy at like 90 and mm-hmm. 95. When you start getting up to 115 and stuff, it's just it's too stressful for them. They can't absorb enough water. They can't stay cool. The roots don't stay cool. So you have to water. I just um, start watering them two or three times a day so that um, they can keep the roots a little bit cooler. But plants like tomatoes that are a little bit sensitive anyway, they'll just they'll drop. N- all their flowers now so we'll lose a whole round of fruit the fruit that's on there hopefully will survive although it might get sun scald um but the flowers will drop and so then we'll have to wait for another fluff of flowers be able to be able to produce some more fruit after that mm-hmm. the peppers i think will weather it a little bit better of course any of your greens just you know lay down and give up cooked um yeah and then what, what really thrives? So when I was walking through the farm, uh, I saw a, a cantaloupe patch that looked like it was kicking it, even yeah. in the hot, hot temps. The melons love it if you can keep enough water on them. And mm-hmm. that is the, I right. mean, they grow so fast anyway. With this kind of heat, they just blow up. But you just have to water, 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 water really heavy. Thankfully, fingers crossed, um, we so far have had no problem with the water supply this year. We have had problems um, in the past. This year, where there's so much snowpack in the mountains that they say that we'll be able to get through the full season with enough water. But something like this kind of heat and stuff will also tax that supply. So fingers crossed that we we keep the water supply going. It taxes it in a couple ways, right? It melts the snowpack faster, so you don't have that gradual melt, which gives you a gradual river drainage. And all of a sudden, your rivers are high and running, and all that water that's supposed to be for September is running off in running down J- the- July. Yeah, right. so. And everyone, yeah. you know, we live on a su- sort of a supply chain. So as the river goes down, um, it, it's way that we pull off water from, you know, everyone's using that. Mm-hmm. So by the time 
it gets you know farther and farther down, you're getting less and less water. So, yeah, the up right. valley farmers get mm-hmm. get after it first. Correct. Although I will say they you're allotted a certain amount of Correct. acre acre feet of water, Correct. and for, they do they manage it very well. Our mm-hmm. water system over there, the SVID, manages it very well. How did the corn do? The corn is jumping up. It seems fine. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's not far enough along. It hasn't set any corn ears or anything like that. So I think the corn's going to be fine. So I'm not worried so, about Tomatoes are my biggest worry because it's such an important crop for the restaurants to have here. And it's the one that everyone waits for and loves. So the, that's the one I'm nervous about. Yeah. Uh, what, and then wheat. Do you have any wheat? I, any don't, kind? I don't have any grains, no. So... Because they would do good. It in would the do heat fine too. in it, also for yeah. sure. Uh, I brought the delivery part of the delivery over this week. Uh, had two big racks of eggs. I was surprised that the chickens continued to lay. Yeah, during the, the chickens that doesn't they get. I mean, we put misters out on them and stuff and try and keep them cool, um, but they just keep laying eggs, which is su- surprising to me. No matter how. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other things I brought over this time: uh, beautiful gem lettuces. Yeah. Uh, I really like that kind of uh, crispy young romaine. It yeah. looks young, but it's full grown, right? It's full grown. They're, yeah. they're meant to be that size. Yeah, I had a lot of it because I knew the heat wave was coming, so we picked everything that we had because I knew it wouldn't survive that kind of heat and stuff. So they, they, look, they look beautiful. Yeah, they're nice and crunchy and tasty. Uh, it looks like uh, we got the last of the radishes, last of the turnips, and you can tell as you come over, you know, those first of the season flushes come with the beautiful greens that are edible, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now the greens are all kind of bug-bitten and, <laughs> yeah. and kind of grody. <laughs> but, you know, the, the turnips are still delicious, as are the radishes. Yeah. So. The radishes yeah. get a little bit spicy in this kind of heat, but, um, but I tried to pick them small enough that they wouldn't knock anybody over terry uh is there anything that you're picking right now that you think that you know we already talked about the apricot tree our our sad little yeah, apricot but, yeah. tree uh, uh what are you first picking right vera. now mm-hmm. first terrico vera are oh, you on nice. beans yet jack yep. um i have don't have any beans set yet okay. they are climbing quickly but i don't have any set on them yet and the yeah, peas like just finished bean. up i like arico vera because they're more like a bush bean so they stay mm-hmm. You know, in the even in the heat, if you water them really nice at the foot, yeah, at the base, you know, it, it stays uh, nicely because they're compact. Yeah. So the yeah. heat, the the, the, actually, the moisture stays in there. Yeah. They actually yeah. shade their so, roots a little bit, which is nice. Right, and also uh, snow peas. Um, you know, we have some snow peas mm-hmm. in the backyard as well, and those have been giving away uh, recently, giving some nice peas. So. Yeah. It's great for I, salads. The salads are coming. But I'm like you, Jackie. I'm waiting for the tomatoes so badly. <laughs> Cucumbers, tomatoes. We had, uh, she yeah. picked our first tomato uh, this last week when I was yeah. over there. We had one tomato in our <laughs> salad for, for six people. <laughs> Everybody got a slim little slice. It was delicious. <laughs> Can I ask about watering? Mm-hmm. And um, I think I didn't put enough on my peas, my shelling peas. And mm-hmm. they were kind of bitter is was that because they really are hungry for water like the cantaloupes to get that prettier pea flavor i don't know what would make them bitter were they maybe the ph maybe the ph soil but were the pods like super filled like tight tight yes you want to pie them pick them a little bit earlier than that you want the peas to have a little bit of space around them and not be completely filled out it was too late so they get a little starchy, and then that's when they'll get that bitter flavor, like when they're a little bit left too long on the vine. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. Next year. <laughs> <laughs> we had so many beautiful peas this year. It was yeah. wonderful. We, had we such were a lucky great to get them over here. 
I was uh, talking about that pea and potato salad that uh, you made mm-hmm. uh, for dinner the other night. It was so delicious. delicious. And also the lovely fact that our mother-in-law, Sharon, uh, is laid up in bed right now with uh, back surgery, and so all she did in bed was pick peas and watch <laughs> bad TV. So it was awesome. she was not watching bad TV. She's an avid Mariner fan. She uh, watches them round the clock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, what can we expect uh, this coming on now? Uh, we talked about the apricots earlier uh, of the stone fruits. We have about a 30 trees in a, you know, all over the place, but about 25 in one spot, and then mm-hmm. cherry tree here or there, apricot. Uh, what can we expect next in uh, our CSA basket that we get from <laughs> uh, our rest- RSA, Restaurant Supported Agriculture uh, Basket? That's coming up in the next few weeks. For, well, stone fruit-wise, the next will be peaches. All the cherries are done now. Um, sour cherries and sweet cherries are already all picked so our next step will be the peaches that's probably maybe three weeks mm-hmm. away before the first of those start and ripening. plums won't come first plums um come a little bit they'll come right around the same time maybe a little bit later mm-hmm. there's so many there's so many plums good yeah i know it's gonna <laughs> be great there's always too many plums. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we didn't get hardly any apricots, maybe we can make our plum jam uh, yeah. for the restaurants this year. So yeah. looking forward to that. We had the cherry tart last night. And uh, one of the cool things, you know, Jackie is a big fan of the Dahlia Bakery. And her favorite thing is to go in and get the pie dough that's in rolled up, the buttered crust. And um, you get giddy every time you pull one of those out of the freezer. <laughs> well, you can you can make a, like a quick crustata in like, Five minutes and have the most incredibly de- delicious dessert with Buttery just a crust, pie crust yeah. and yeah. Yeah. some fruit with a little bit of sugar and some butter put on and you're done. Uh, it's awesome. And it, it is definitely something really nice to have the dough already made because oh, sure. it makes things a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so what did you put in last night's uh, for the fruit that you harvested uh, for last night's tart? It was a couple of kinds of cherries, right? Yeah, both kinds of cherries, sweet and um, sour cherries. A t- just a smidgen of sugar, a little bit of cornstarch to just thicken it, mm-hmm. and a big grind of black pepper, which I always like black pepper with fruit. Mm, yeah, delicious. And then uh, I like the free-form tart, like just in, mm-hmm. if you're looking at... A, rustic, uh, rustic. Yeah, it's rustic, but it's also, you don't need that top sh- shell. And the, the fruit, in my mind, dries out a little bit better and doesn't make your mm-hmm. pie soupy because it's uh, dehydrated from the hot oven uh, a bit. Right. And so to right. me, I, I mm-hmm. like that a little bit better than a big soupy pie. Mm. Mm. All mm, right, uh, who's staying for tasty trivia, Pamela? The farmer in chief. The farmer in the dell right here. Ooh. Uh, absolutely good. Oh, so, boy. Uh, here we go. Terry, uh, wink, wink. Uh, let's take her down. Yeah. yeah. Can't be embarrassed. Because you know what I know about this, Pamela, our producer? She's going to cheat for, for Jackie. So just know that right now. Uh, when we come back, it's Food for Thought. Tasty trivia brought to you by uh, Rub with Love Spice Rubs on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Let's wrap this thing up with our Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Uh, today we're going to be challenged by Jackie Cross, head farmer at Prosser Farm, chef in the chapeau, and of course myself. Uh, uh, Rub with Love is a small batch, versatile set of rubs and sauces and mustards that bring extra layers of flavor to any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store, specialty shops. We're in a ton of butcher shops, wild salmon fish market down there at uh, Fishman's Terminal. Or find them on, online at TomDouglas.com or at YourBuddyStan.com. <laughs> I think he sells only through Amazon, though, right, Stan? Yes. I think so, yeah. All right, Pamela, how do we play the game, and who's our winner today? 
Catherine Bedford Bonnie is our winner, and the prize, uh, in keeping with our rib theme today, is the two different barbecue sauces, our Kansas City and the Ancho Molasses, so they can do a taste test. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's a jar of the Smoky Rub. The contestants today are each going to get five questions. The, there's a bit of a twist today. They're all vegetable-related in honor of our farmer. <laughs> and I'm going to let um, the, the questions are related to one vegetable. So today we're doing potato, carrots, and tomatoes. So your five questions will be on that one vegetable. But wait a minute, is tomato a fruit? Did I just screw that up? Yeah. Tomato is Boom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Jackie... As guest of honor, you get to go first. Would you like potato, carrot, or tomato? Oh, that's so hard. (laughs) Um, I'll take take tomato. Tomato. Number one, to store tomatoes longer, do they keep better if you store them with their stem up or down? Down. Yes. She's screaming into the leaf. Uh, The (laughs) leaves of the tomato plant are toxic. True or false? True. Oh, boy. She's going to be hard to beat. Oh, come on. (laughs) What percent of the tomatoes... Are tomatoes red or are they yellow? (laughs) Both. (laughs) What percent of tomatoes' weight is water? Percent of weight, I'm going to have to take a guess at that. I'm going to say 70. 90. Woof. Close. Uh, so you're, we're giving it to you. <laughs> yes. She was within 50%. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, uh, Pam. What, what fruit will help you ripen green tomatoes? Bananas. This trivia said apples. Oh. It said released, oh, yeah. the released ethylene gas will provide perfect conditions to ripen faster. Interesting. And if I've you, always heard bananas. I know. And I'm going down in flames <laughs> now. To, this one is a crapshoot. How many pounds of tomatoes does the average American eat each year? Well, 87. I, I, I know it's different at Prosser Farm than it is in most places. There's a yeah, lot of tomatoes going on out there. Same with me. I eat them when they're in season, but most of the country eats them all year round. Yeah, but then you have to take in tomato sauce that you have around the yeah. year and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So, so you said 87%? I see. Uh, that seems low, though, doesn't it? 87 pounds per person. I'm going to say 120. Uh, 24. Oh. <laughs> Eat more tomatoes, people. Come on. All right. She was close. Right. She said 120. She didn't say 120. All right, Terry, do you want carrots or potatoes? Um, I'll go with uh, carrots. Let's go carrots. I love carrots. Number one, carrot is one of the most sugary vegetables in the world. Uh, what is the only vegetable that has more sugar? Ooh. Oh. <sighs> of course, that has more sugar than carrots. Carrot. Let me think. Uh, and you love them. Hmm. And Tom onions. doesn't. <laughs> I'm going to go onions because it's caramelizing every day. <laughs> it's beets. Uh, yeah, of course it's beets. I can't believe you didn't know that, Chef. Yeah, the whole country of France is covered in sugar beets. That's right. Number two, how many carrot seeds fit in one teaspoon? Uh, that's a great question. I do this all the time, so I should know. Uh, I'm going to guess 42. 2,000. 
<laughs> you were close, Chef. <laughs> I was so close. <laughs> How far can you walk with the energy from one carrot? <laughs> How far can you walk? Uh, I would say at least a few inches. No, um... How far can you work with the energy of the carrots and the sugar? I'm going to say four and a half mile. One mile. Uh, That's not true. I'm <laughs> much stronger than that with a carrot. Okay. <laughs> we'll give it to you. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. How many carrots do you need to eat to get the same amount of calcium as a glass of milk? Ooh. Ooh. I would say a pound. Maybe nine carrots. That's but about right. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's a yes. Uh, among all vegetables, carrots have the largest content of which vitamin? Why do we eat them? Uh, carotene. So yep. let me think. Yep. You're right. Yes, that's it. That's the answer, chef. Yeah, vitamin A. Don't don't think anymore. You did. You got it. Okay. <laughs> yes. Just like Jackie. Jackie, we're together on this. Okay, thank, wow. Thank heavens. It's a tie. It's a tie. What are they? Three uh, out of five? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, Tom. You're Two. the potato man. Okay. Pota- I choose potatoes. <laughs> At least I wanted my choice. Yeah. Potatoes are the world's most, the, are the fourth most produced staple. Yes. Name one or two of the most produced. Rice. Yep. Do you want to try the others? Uh, staple corn. Yep. And the last one would be? Wheat. Did you read these ahead of time? I did not. Number two. Potatoes are the second most consumed in the United States. What is the first most consumed? Starch? No. What do you say? All categories. Of vegetables? Consumed food. No. Consumed food. food. Yeah. Uh, Beef. Milk. Milk. Which has... It comes from beef. Hate to say... (laughs) Hate to sell you. (laughs) You're right, Tom. I think you're right. Somewhere along the line, you're right. Thank you, Chef. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which has more vitamin C, potato or orange? Oh, it sounds like a trick question, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, but do, is it a sweet potato or is it an orange potato or is it orange juice? <laughs> it's a white potato. Orange. White potato. And an orange I'm orange. going to go with orange. You, it's a potato. Uh, potatoes are grown in all 50 states of the USA, but which states are the largest producers of potatoes? Idaho and Washington. Yes. Screaming, screaming to the wind. One of the first children's toys ever to be advertised on U.S. TV. Mr. Potato. Mr. Potato. Mr. Potato Head. I win. <laughs> what year yes. was Tom that? Won. Oh, come on. You want the year? 1954. 52. Damn oh, close. close. I yes, think you're the good. winner that's today. I think that means that Chef Terry is paying for shipping. Chef, if you could mail me your check. Actually, I don't really take checks. Mail me the cash. $7.50. No, it's heavier today because it's two jars of sauce. Oh, $10. $10. $10 from you, Chef. $10. $10 from you, Chef. Uh, If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live or at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Uh, you're listening to us on Cairo, of course, and uh, this show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sean is our technical director, and Sean Del Torre is our editor, sound mixer. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97.3, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.